I want to start this morning by sharing a story from Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there are two characters in this story I'm going to tell you. Uh, the first one is named Christian, who is a Christian. And the other character is Apollyon, who is Satan. Apollyon means the destroyer. And I want you to listen to see if you can in any way identify with what Christian experienced in this story. Uh, Christian saw a foul fiend coming over the field to meet with him, and his name was Apollyon. And Christian began to be afraid, and he wondered whether to go back or to stand his ground. Uh, but knowing that he had no armor for his back, and that he would be more exposed to Apollyon's fiery missiles if he turned around, he resolved to stand his ground, and so he went on, and Apollyon the destroyer met him. Now, the monster was hideous to behold. He was clothed with scales like a fish, and he had wings like a dragon, feet like a bear, and out of his belly came fire and smoke, and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion. When he came up to Christian, he looked down on him with disdain, and he questioned and accused and taunted him for being such a poor Christian. Apollyon broke out into a grievous rage, saying, I am the enemy to this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and his people, and I have come out to stand against you. Then Apollyon straddled the road in front of Christian and said, Prepare to die, for I swear by my infernal den that you shall go no farther. Right here I will spill your soul. And with that, he threw a flaming dart at his breast. But Christian had a shield in his hand which he, with which he caught it and so prevented the danger of that. Then Apollyon charged at him, throwing darts thick as hail. Apollyon wounded him in his head, his hand, and his foot. Christian resisted as manfully as he could. But by reason of his wounds, he grew weaker and weaker. Then Apollyon, seeing his opportunity, came up close to Christian and wrestling with him, he gave him a dreadful fall. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. And then Apollyon said, I am sure of you now. And he had almost pressed him to death so that Christian began to despair of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was preparing to strike his last blow, to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out for his sword, and he caught it, and he said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And as a result, Apollyon quickly spread his dragon's wings and fled away so that Christian saw him no more. In the year 1678, John Bunyan wrote that. He describes here what Christians in all ages experience at times under the attack of Satan. The victory that Christian had was real. But the fight was real too. And it's the same with you and I. The victory that we have and can have and walk in through Christ is real, but our fight, our battle, is very real too. If 
if, don't think this is the case, but if you have never felt the sting of Satan's taunts, if you have never felt the terrible oppression of his accusations, if you have never been deceived by Satan into, into sinful behavior that you were later so ashamed of, if you have never felt the heat of spiritual battle, if you have never grieved over a friend or a church member or a son or a daughter who was taken captive by the devil, if none of this has ever happened to you, if you've never experienced any of that, then this vision from Revelation chapter 20 may mean very little to you. But if you know anything of Satan's cruel and malicious attacks, then you will find deep joy in his defeat. We pray as the psalmist prayed, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. That happens in Revelation. The theme of Revelation is the total victory of Jesus Christ over all his enemies. And the theme particularly of Revelation chapter 20 is the defeat of Satan who is the great adversary of Christ and his church. In Revelation 20, the, the dragon is slain, the dragon is doomed, the bride of Christ is rescued, Satan is taken prisoner and chained and bound and thrown into a lake of fire, tormented forever and ever. It is a total and complete victory over the devil. Of course, we are not helpless against the devil now. If we belong to Jesus, we can resist the devil and he must flee. We can quench all the flaming missiles of the evil one with the shield of faith. We can stop his lies with the word of God. But yet, Luther was right. He is still our ancient foe who seeks to work us well. And we experience that. We walk through that. Peter said the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, I wince when I hear people say that Satan is just an old toothless lion. Don't think that's what Peter meant by this verse. In fact, he said, he is a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, or be on guard. He can do real damage. And just... Look at the New Testament scriptures. Satan demanded to sift Peter like wheat. He filled Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Paul urged caution in appointing elders lest they fall into the snare of the devil. And Paul grieved that some younger women in the church have already gone astray, he said, to follow Satan. He warned against giving the devil a foothold through anger. He talked about people being taken captive by the devil to do his will. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus said, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, 
and the enemy who planted them or the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The devil plants his people, his agents, so to speak, right within the church and among believers. John said the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. Revelation 12, 9 says Satan leads the entire world or the whole world astray. Satan is stirring up governments and authorities to oppose Christ and his people. He is behind the rebellion against God and God's laws. He's behind murder and war, uh, the hatred and strife, the hatred and rage in human relationships. He is behind the destruction of marriages. He's behind the, the present day revolt against being made male and female. And most of all, he is behind the blindness to the gospel. He blinds people to the glory of Christ and the goodness of Christ. So, if you have read much of your Bible, if you've been saddened or teaching where, where you know something of the entire story of the Bible, you know that the story of the Bible is a struggle of Satan against God. Satan seeking to usurp God's rule over his creation. Uh, Satan is the tempter in the garden that leads Adam and Eve into sin and to ruin. He is the enemy who must be crushed by the offspring of the woman. He, of course, that of course is Jesus. The great battle was still raging at the birth of Jesus. Revelation 12, 4 says, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Most commentators feel that this refers to Herod's attempt to kill Jesus by killing all the male children two years and, old and younger in Bethlehem. In other words, Satan wanted Jesus dead. Jesus himself understood the significance of his own crucifixion and resurrection in defeating Satan. Uh, he said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. John said the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Satan was clearly uh, defeated and judged at the cross of Jesus Christ. His doom was made sure. His sentence was final and yet we see from the scripture that the victory of the cross must be worked out in the history of the church and by Christians daily overcoming the devil and finally by Christ at his second coming. This drama that began in Genesis and that we've all experienced is finally resolved in Revelation. The fight is over right here in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, the scripture begins with an angel coming with a great chain and, and the key to the bottomless pit. He locks up the devil for a thousand years. The devil is let loose for one final act of rebellion. Then it ends with the devil being thrown into a fiery lake of burning sulfur where he is tormented forever and ever, day and night. And this is Satan's punishment for his terrible crimes against God and the people whom God created. 
Verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Please visualize this. These are visions that John saw, and they are written in such a way that we are to see them too. We're to, 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 uh, to see them with our mind's eye or visualize them. The heavens open. A mighty angel appears. He is carrying a massive chain, and he has in his hand a key, a key to the abyss or the bottomless pit. It's later in, in this passage called a prison. It's God's prison for evil fallen angels. He is on a mission to take Satan prisoner and to lock him up. And that's what he does. Verse 2, and he seized the dragon. What an image. What a word picture. This great angel coming. The heavens open. He's got this chain and a key and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. We're given four names or four descriptions of Satan here. He is called first the dragon because he has terrible power like a dragon. And like a dragon, he strikes fear in your heart. Satan's work is to terrify you. One of his greatest tools is to strike fear in your hearts. Twelve times in the book of Revelation, he is called the dragon. We are in a battle with a dragon. We are called to be dragon slayers in and through Jesus Christ. Second, he is called the, that ancient serpent. That name refers to Satan's role in the Garden of Eden. He appeared as a serpent to deceive Eve into rebellion against the Lord. The serpent, or Satan's deception, uh, led ultimately to the separation of the entire word, world, the fall of all humanity from God and from the relationship that God intended for them. And Satan continues to deceive. Uh, this is, other than fear, this is probably his other main tool. Even with believers, Paul said to the Corinthians, he wrote to them and he said, I, I am afraid or I'm concerned lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your hearts and minds should be led astray from a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Beware. Beware of his deception even in the church. Do not let Satan deceive you into pulling you away from Christ and his people and from a simple devotion, a simple loyalty Christ. The other two names here are the devil and Satan, which we're, of course, very familiar with. The devil means evil one, and Satan, the name Satan, means adversary. Satan, he's evil, and Satan is your adversary. He is against you, just like the description that we read about in, from Pilgrim's Progress. He is your opponent. The angel from heaven seizes Satan, and in verse 2, he bound him, it says he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Satan is not merely uh, 
hindered or reprimanded here. He is held in an escape-proof pit, it says, for a thousand years. This communicates a complete stop to Satan's evil activity on the earth for a long period of time. Personally, I think this is future because we just haven't seen that yet. But that's really not my point to emphasize uh, that here this morning. Verse 3 goes on, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. He is bound for this purpose, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. The vast majority of, our, of the people in our world are living in deception, blinded by the God of this world. But, God, but John sees in this vision, he sees a thousand years where Satan cannot deceive uh, the nation, the world, any longer. But then John adds, until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Uh, just when we might think that in John's vision shows uh, an end to Satan forever, he adds this twist. Uh, for some reason, for which we are not told, Satan after this thousand-year period, must be released again, but it says only for a short time. And then in this vision that John has shown, suddenly this vision switches to heaven. It switches to Christ in heaven. And we are shown what is going on while Satan is in the pit. Verse 4, then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So in heaven, in this vision of heaven, John sees people on thrones. I believe these are most likely or probably resurrected saints. Uh, God has not subjected the world to come to angels, but to us, says in Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 5, and Paul told the Corinthians, do you not know that we shall judge the angels? Verse 4 continues, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So John sees souls. He sees lives. He sees people who have paid for their loyalty to Jesus Christ by death. They are beheaded or in some way executed. All throughout the book of Revelation, it makes clear that the object of Satan's wrath is the saints. And that's us, that's you and I. And here in this vision, he has killed many who are loyal to Jesus. Satan is the one who inspires governments and religious systems and the world to hate followers of Christ. It says here that they were killed for testifying about Jesus or for their testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, probably for holding to or speaking the word of God. That's the two reasons that they are executed. 
And loyalty to Jesus and speaking about Jesus and speaking for Jesus and holding to the word of God or speaking the word of God in our culture and in coming days will put you in risk of great danger. And that's exactly what John sees in this vision. Verse 4, the evidence here of their loyalty to Jesus is that they did not worship the beast and they did not receive its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Often the test of our loyalty to Christ comes from something strange or very unusual, some unexpected demand that would compromise our faithfulness to him if we obey it. And John saw in this vision a very peculiar test coming upon God's people. A satanically empowered person or system called the beast will dominate people even down to what they buy and sell. And unless Christians submit to have this mark put on their foreheads or right hands, they will not be able to buy or sell from this vision. And those who will not submit to this uh, global, end-time, anti-Christ political system will be excluded from the normal activities of life, such as buying and selling, and then, according to this vision, even put to death. But these victims of persecution in the middle of this chapter, they are honored and lifted up. They are exalted by Christ. It says they came to life even though they were executed or put to death for their testimony and for the word of God. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So during this thousand year period while Satan is languishing in the pit, those to whom he has done his worst come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. The resurrection solves their persecution. The resurrection solves even their execution. The resurrection solves everything the devil has ever done to you. Nothing Satan can do to you today, tomorrow, or ever can keep you from being exalted with Christ in his glory. Peter said, God has called you to his glory. I misquoted. Peter said, God has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And nothing and nobody, not even the devil, can stop that. So, we fear nothing, not even death, because we are bound for glory. We are destined for something that overcomes, that cancels out uh, death and anything that Satan can do for us. No one, no believer, ever pays any price for following Christ but is rewarded many times over for it. 
Jesus said, here in this life and in the life to come. Paul said, if we endure, we will reign with him. Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Revelation 3.21. Amazing stuff. Glorious. We, there's a, we have a glorious end. And God called us to that. God has called us to that, and it's going to happen. John points out that what he's been talking about is the first resurrection. And then he says in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is how I understand this. It seems to me that the first resurrection is the resurrection of God's people, believers, saints, those who belong to Christ when Christ comes. There's the first resurrection. But there is another resurrection. There is also a resurrection of the wicked or the unrighteous or unbelieving. Uh, Jesus himself said that some, well, first of all, he said that everyone who is in a grave will someday hear the voice of the Son of Man and will come out. Every single person. But he said some will be raised to life. Some will be raised to eternal life and some will be raised to condemnation or to judgment. So, verse 6 says, blessed or how blessed and holy is the one or is the person who shares in the first resurrection. In other words, who shares in the resurrection of the saints, of believers, those who belong to Christ and have remained loyal to him. Those raised in Christ are blessed, supremely happy, and and, and extremely fortunate because, John goes on, over such the second death has no power. Okay, so why, why, would, why would saints who share in this first resurrection, why would they be so blessed? Because the second death has no power over them. What is this second death. Revelation 20, later on in this chapter, not in our passage, but in verse 15, says the lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We are blessed because we are not destined for wrath. We are not destined for a lake of fire. We are not destined for hell, for judgment, for condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Not now and not in eternity. So in, instead of this uh, final judgment, this horrible final end, verse 6 says, those who are loyal to Christ, it says, quote, will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Again, pointing again to this idea that our future is reigning 
with Christ. It's, 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 a, it's an exalted position that God has ordained. It's a glorious position or status that God has ordained for you and I who are in Christ. The saints are safe and exalted with Christ. Uh, Daniel 7.18 says, In the end, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess the kingdom forever and ever. That's you. That's you and me. Then, again, this vision shifts back to another scene. In verse 7, it returns to Satan and it says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations who are at the four corners of the earth. He will gather them for battle and they march up and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, the only time that we, or the only thing that we have time to look at this morning is that in this vision, after a short release, Satan is eternally doomed. Fire consumes the enemies of the Lord and his people, and the devil is thrown into a lake of fire again, where he is tormented day and night, forever and ever. Satan, the devil, who has brought such misery and pain and death to men and women for thousands of years will be utterly defeated, never to rise again. This is the love of God for his people. This is the salvation of God for his people. This is the Lord God coming to our rescue. This is God releasing all creation from bondage and releasing his saints, his church from the attack of our adversary, the devil. The battle is over. Uh, No more war on the saints. God has vanquished the enemy of the church. And if you belong to Christ, uh, no one has a better future than you do. And my prayer this morning is that our hearts would learn to glory in these truths. Monique is not here this morning, but our last life group, we actually, was, I think it was one maybe when we talked about Revelation 19, but she had been reading in, in, ahead in Revelation, and uh, she read from this last verse, Revelation cha- uh, uh, 20, verse 10, where Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. And she said, Hallelujah, the bride of Christ is rescued. And I think that's the right attitude to have toward this. I think this should stir a deep joy and deep sense of victory and future glory in our hearts. All right, here's, I'm going to wrap up with... uh, Three, I think it's three, maybe four things that I think we should take away from this. First, Satan must be destroyed in order for there to be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? And chapter 21, the, the next chapter, 
there, is, there is at the end of this chapter is, uh, is the story, the, the, the vision of the great white throne judgment. But immediately then it goes on to, to chapter 21, which is the new, introducing the new heavens and the new earth. The, the place that God has prepared for us to spend our eternity face to face with him. And in, in order for there to be that place, in order for there to be heaven, or what we call heaven, that perfect place of perfect joy, perfect peace, a perfect place where we will be ha- eternally happy with God and with our Savior Jesus Christ forever and ever, that can only come after Satan is out of the picture and doomed and destroyed as is described in this vision. Second, we live now or we ought to live now with the confidence that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's exactly what Paul said to the Christians who were suffering persecution at Rome. He said, as a, as a word of deep encouragement to them, he said, guys, believers, God will soon crush Satan under your, under your feet. Evil will not endure forever. Uh, the bride of Christ will be rescued. We shall all be safe forever. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Third, we are to live as overcomers now. Though Satan is presented as the enemy of the church and of the saints and of our souls, Satan has no power over our souls now unless we give in to his temptations, his taunts, and accusations. So, take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and fight back. We are called to be overcomers. Again and again and again, that word overcomer is used in the book of Revelation, and particularly in the letters to the churches. To the one who overcomes, uh, some translations say, to the one who conquers, I will do this, I will do that. To the one who overcomes, he will sit with me on my, on my throne, on my Father's throne. We're to be overcomers now. And I don't have time to go into the whole passage, but what does Revelation say about the saints under the accusation, the, one, the, the, the accuser of the brothers. What does it say about the saints? It says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and because they weren't afraid to die for his namesake. They overcame him, and that's what we're called to, to do. Uh, Martin Luther said, I was born to fight against innumerable monsters and devils. And so are you. We're born to fight. We're born again to fight against the devil and demons. Uh, We're born again to be dragon slayers in and through the power of Jesus. This Jesus' power isn't so great because the devil is so small. It says, John said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I mean, he who is in the world 
The devil is a formidable opponent. But the one who is in you is greater. And that's what we live by. And then fourth and finally, I'm going to wrap up up with this. Live like a person destined to reign with Christ. You're not, in the end, you're not a defeated loser. I mean, some people just have that mentality. They, they just have such a defeatist sort of approach to life and outlook on life. We, we're destined for the throne. There, there's, I think there's a Christian book written with that title, Destined for the Throne. We're destined to reign with Christ. It's repeated over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. Paul said it, if we, again, if we endure, we will reign with him. This is not some obscure teaching. It's central. It's core to our hope, to our future. So live with your heart filled with hope and with your head lifted up, knowing that you are a victor in Christ. Your, your victory, your destiny is certain. Your future glory is certain. We're going to be resurrected, and we're going to reign and rule with Christ. We might not understand all of that, but the Bible says it's a glorious thing, and that's where we're headed. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the victory of Jesus Christ over all enemies, including Satan and the devil. And we glorify you that you have such might and such power and that you have destined us as fellow heirs with Christ, fellow victors to uh, sit and reign with him in glory. Lord, uh, I I ask again that you would uh, stir our hearts to be thrilled with these truths, Lord. Open our hearts to make them deeply meaningful to us and affect our thoughts and our attitudes and our approach to life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. You know, the theme of this little series that we're doing on Revelation uh, is visions that give hope. And I, I want the, the messages that we cover here to fill you with hope. Not, not just a shallow hope like uh, uh, Things will always get better, turn out for good. I mean, this is a hope that is rooted in something solid and sure and true. And so th- that's, that's the purpose of this teaching. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this morning with uh, this familiar blessing, prayer uh, from the book of Romans. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.